You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. Uh, for those of you who are visiting uh, this morning in person, or those who are visiting online, uh, my name is Ryan Sebastian. I am the student pastor uh, here at Hyde Park. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy 3. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 17. You know, last uh, few weeks, um, as I was looking at this passage and contemplating what God uh, will have me talk about this morning with you. Um, the more I study this, the more I realize that there is so much that is going on with Paul commissioning Timothy. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm actually going to be doing a brief overview of what is going on here in this passage between uh, Paul and Timothy. You know, in 2 Timothy Three, when you look at verses 10 through 17, it says this. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, where its persecutions I endured. Yet from all them all, the Lord rescued me." Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and affirm you believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus." All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that, man, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I just I thank you for this time that we can get together and worship you. Uh, worship you freely. There are, are believers all across this world who cannot meet together freely. Meeting, meeting in homes, meeting in huts, and, and with the government or whatever powers may be that want to destroy the very, very work that you're doing. God, just please help us not take that for granted this morning. God's ask you to please be each one of our hearts this morning as we're looking at what it means to follow a godly example, and how your word is totally reliable. Just please help us to, our hearts be completely open for what you would like us to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, a, a few, uh, about a few, about roughly a month or two ago, I came across an article about a pastor. His name is Robert Porteous, and his wife, who were missionaries to communist China many years ago. 
And these two missionaries, as were in China, communist China, eventually they were arrested for sharing the gospel and put in prison. And what the Chinese uh, guardsmen like to do in their prison is they like to play mind games with their prisoners. So what they would do is they would take them out, threaten to act like they're about to execute them, and put them back in prison. And there was one particular day where the guardsmen, the executioners, took Robert, Pastor Robert and his wife, along with other Chinese men, taking them outside to execute him. And when they took him outside, they told him to get on their knees. And as uh, Pastor Robert and his wife were on their knees, they can hear the Chinese executioners behind them taking their swords out of their sheaths, ready to actually execute them. And as they're sitting there uh, next to him, the Chinese men were wailing and screaming in fear of being killed. And as they were sitting there, they began to sing. They sang, face to face, I shall behold him, far beyond the starry sky. Face to face, in all his glory, I shall see him by and by. Next thing you know, you had the Chinese guardsmen turned and looked at these Chinese prisoners who were actually screaming out of fear of being executed and looked at them and started scolding, uh, scolding them and, tur- and said, look at these two missionaries, how they're not afraid to die. And eventually these Chinese guardsmen looked at Pastor Robert and asked, can you please sing to us in Chinese? And he turned to them and said, the only thing I know are hymns. And then he started singing, the gate of heaven is open wide for me. And when they finished, the guards did not execute him. And later on, he was the pastor and his wife were actually returned back to their homeland. See, all of us that know Christ would say, I want to be as faithful unto death as Pastor Robert was. Whether I die as a martyr or I die in old age, I want to be faithful to the Lord and who gave himself for me. But as we know, spiritual faithfulness is not an automatic process. It's not an automatic process. You see, early on in chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, and Pastor Jeff talked a little bit about this last week, after describing the false teachers in early in, in chapter 3 who held to a form of religion but denied its power. In our text, Paul again exhorts Timothy to remain faithful even through persecution. He reminds Timothy of his own example, which Timothy has observed for years up to this point. See, his message in verses 10 through 15 can be summed up something maybe like this. Spiritual faithfulness is not automatic, but requires recognizing and following godly examples who follow God's word. So first thing I want to look at is is spiritual faithfulness is, in the past, is not automatically guaranteed of faithfulness in the future. So even though Timothy had followed Paul's teaching and example up to this point, Paul felt it necessary to exhort him, to encourage him to continue doing so in the future, especially when he cowed persecutions. Again, he surely would, because when you look at 
verse 12, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So in other words, past faithfulness does not automatically guarantee future faithfulness. See, the lives of these evil men that Paul was describing early on in chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, and also in verse 13, serves as a warning for you and for me. These are not atheists. These are not outwardly, they're not outwardly opposed to religion. In reality, they made a profession of faith. And yes, I'm using air quotes, a profession of faith. They had been leaders in the church. They held to a form of godliness, but now their lives denied its power. They were imposters. Okay? When you look at verse 13, it says, will go on. That means to make progress. And I like to think when I see that, Paul's almost being sarcastically saying that they will make progress, all right, from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. See, whenever the Bible warns about deception, you need to pay attention. You know, when, when I, I, I've looked at this passage many, many times over the years, and other pastors like it, when it talks about being deceived or in, in deception and leaders deceiving others and bringing other people into deception, and I, sometimes I just want to skim over that and read through that. But when you see that, when you're reading God's Word, you need to stop, pay attention, and really see what's going on. See, long-term spiritual faithfulness does not happen by accident. accident. You must be deliberate about it. So recognizing the danger, how can we remain faithful to the Lord in the face of temptation and trials? Secondly, spiritual faithfulness in the future requires recognizing and following godly examples who follow God's Word. So what is a godly example? How do we know what a godly example is? What does it look like? The well, first thing is this, is that a godly example is known for his teaching. We look at verse 10, it says, You, however, have followed my teaching. This is Paul talking to Timothy. You have followed my teaching. So listen to what people teach. It won't take you long to discern whether he is teaching the Bible or whether he's using the Bible for personal gain. In fact, this is right here is a problem in our culture, in the church culture today, in westernized culture. We have people who are claiming to be church leaders, claiming to be pastors who go up on the pulpit and taking God's Word, twisting it for their own personal gain. So when you listen to a sermon, ask yourself, does he explain, imply the text of Scripture so that I can come away understanding what it means and how it applies to my life? Also, a godly Bible teacher does not skip the difficult sections and doctrines. He teaches the whole purpose of God. And this is another problem we're seeing in our culture today. We have people who come in, in quote-unquote, church from pulpit and completely ignoring parts of Scripture because it's offensive to our culture. Now, us as believers in Christ, we are called to love and have compassion to the LGBTQ community. Okay, as believers in Christ, we're to love them and reach them with the gospel, but we're also to reach them with truth and love. 
You know, the reason why the LGBTQ plus is seeping into churches today is exactly this, that leaders are unwilling to teach about the hard stuff in Scripture. Second, a godly example is known for his character. When you go on in verse 10, it says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. See, he practices what he preaches. His life backs up his teaching. And Paul mentions six areas of character. And for time's sake, we're not going to break this down one by one, but I want you to see and get a picture of what is going on here when it comes to character. And the first thing is conduct. How the leader lives his life, lives her life. Is that person, is that person following the world? Is that person following God? It's how they live their life. Next is their purpose, their aim in life. And as believers in Christ, ultimate our aim in life is to share the gospel and make disciples. To share the gospel and make disciples. And it goes on, talks about faith or faithfulness, patience, sacrificial love, and perseverance. So a godly example is known for his teaching and his character, but also a godly example is known for his godly character under trials. Again, starting at verse 10, it says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So how does a man respond? How do you respond when trials hit? How does he, does he rail at God? Does he get angry at God? Does he curse God? Or does he submit to God? Does he drift into the world, or does he draw near to the Lord? I can't tell you how, for me personally, one of the biggest measures of if a leader is really following God, the leader is really putting his life and surrendering his life to him, is how he acts during a trial. I can't tell you how many people personally that I knew that were leaders in various church organizations and in various churches that immediately when a, when a major trial came in their life, they either walk away from the faith or start following the world. See, a godly example trusts God and grows through trials. But I don't want you to miss verse 12. It's a promise for you and it's a promise for me. It says, Indeed, all who desire, all desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He's not saying if you do this, you'll be persecuted, or maybe if you talk about that, you'll be persecuted. It says you will, you are promised to be persecuted. And here's why. The faith as a believer in Christ, for me to say that there's only one way to a right relationship with, with God, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ, 
say that he is the only way, and that if I don't surrender my life to him, I'm going to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. To say those two things is completely offensive to our culture. You are promised persecution. Spiritual faithfulness requires recognizing and following godly examples who follow Scripture. So we looked, like, looked at okay, what, what it looks like to follow a godly example and why and how does godly example look like. But next I want to look at why you need the Bible. Why you need God's Word. See, the Bible is not a good luck charm. You know, when I, when I was a, I'm a preacher's kid, my dad was a pastor, and I can remember growing up uh, doing a thing called visitation, going with my dad, a thing called visitation. For those of you who don't know what that is, uh, basically when we had a uh, person visiting our church, they fill out a connect card. Uh, we took that connect card, and either a pastor on staff, a deacon, or other people within the church would actually go and visit that person. And during these visitations, visiting that person, it would share a little bit more about our, the church and about our ministries, but also gives an opportunity for gospel conversation to share God's Word. And I can remember seeing my dad leading many people to Christ through um, our visitations many years ago. But I, there's one thing that stuck in my mind as a kid, and that is when I would go and I saw this many, many times where I went to homes and I saw a big, huge uh, Bible. Literally, it was about that big. Huge Bible that would sit out like in a foyer or somewhere out in the open. And it's gold and had almost, almost looked like a statue in a way. It had Jesus, a picture of Jesus with children on one side and, and maybe a scripture on the other side and a gold little ribbon in the middle. And it was the centerpiece of the home. And I can't tell you how many homes I went in that I saw that, but it was a home where the, the family was completely lost. It's, it's, almost, it's almost like we have having a copy of God's Word in a place in a house and it, hoping that it rubs off on people. But like any book, the Bible will profit you only if you read it, study it, and apply it to your life. I want to convince you this morning that you need the Bible because it's totally reliable and useful for all life. So you need so the Bible is actually totally reliable. So when you look at verse 16, it says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. A better translation of this is all Scripture is God-breathed. Now, as I was studying this uh, and going to the Greek and really trying to get a grasp of this, it was very, I'm not going to lie, it was very hard for me to really understand but the best way I can, I can picture it, it's almost like God's breathing out, and there it's God's Word. You had all, people, men, apostles, church leaders, writing God's Word, and God is breathing through them God's Word. So since it comes from God, who is reliable, all Scripture is reliable. So if God, if God is the God of truth, and if he breathed out the scriptures, then it does not contain contradictions or errors. You know, I had a real hard time with this when I was in college. You know, I got, came to Christ when I was 13, 
Uh, when I graduated high school, I went to a Christian college, went to Liberty University, and during that time, I was really diving in to God's Word more than I ever had before. And I actually started to struggle with this when it comes to contradiction of scriptures. Because as I was studying, I saw what I thought were contradictions, and I started wrestling with different doubts. Is, is this really God's Word? Is it, does, if it has errors, how can it really be inspired? And so I started diving in it more and more and more. And what I finally realized as I'm diving in God's Word and learning more is that there is no contradiction in scriptures. What I found out is I had, did not have an understanding of God's Word. You see, we can't take a piece of scripture in the New Testament or a piece of scripture in the Old Testament and just take it out. You have to look at God's Word as a whole from Genesis to Revelation. When you do that, you will see that it complements, there's no contradictions all throughout God's Word. Because God's Word is a love letter for you and for me. But as Paul goes on to show, the Bible is not only told reliable, but also you need the Bible because it is useful for all life. So imagine God going to all the trouble to save us and saying you're on your own. Look at the world and maybe you'll figure out how to get through this life. See, there is no problem in life for which the Bible does not provide God's wisdom, either through explicit teaching or principles that apply. And I'll just give you a short example. If you study the teachings of Christ, you actually come across that Christ actually talked a lot about money and finances. If you look at the book of Proverbs, there is gold and gold nuggets all through there is how to manage money. See, God's Word is useful for all aspects of life, whether you're struggling with your marriage, you're struggling with anxiety, depression, you name it. There is God's Word teaches how, what we should do in that moment. So we look at 2 Timothy, again, verses 6 through seven, uh, 16 through 17. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, you cannot know what, God, how, what godly leader, what godly leader to follow, or your life being transformed if you're not reading God's Word. If you're not spending time with God daily, poured into His Word, you are not going to know what godly person to follow. You're not going to be tra- allowing, you're not allowing God's Word to transform your life and transform you. See, Scripture is useful for teaching God's truth. Scripture is useful for confronting our sin. Scripture is useful for correction. Scripture is useful for training in righteousness. As we close a little early today, there is two questions I want to leave you with. And the first one is this, is what example are you following? What example are you following? Are you following an example that models Christ Are you following an example that models the world? And secondly, are you spending time in God's Word, allowing it to transform you? Are you spending time in God's Word and allowing it to transform 
you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for, again, for this opportunity to worship freely. I actually just pleased with each one of us today as, as you're speaking to us, Lord, what, what, it, what does it look like? What does a godly example look like? God, I just ask you to please with each one of us as, as, we're in, as we're trying to find people to help us grow in our faith, discipleship, that we look towards people who are modeling you and modeling Jesus Christ. God, I ask you to please also, please help not to be deceived on all these leaders, quote-unquote leaders that are in this world and in our culture right now who are standing in pulpits at churches that are completely deceiving people giving a false gospel, a false hope. Please help us not to be deceived by them, but strive out and looking towards a godly example to model and to follow. And God, I just please be with us this morning. If there's somebody here who's, who's struggling with God's Word, looking at it and, and questioning it, is this real? Is it God's Word reliable? God, I just please be with that person. I would ask to pray that you put people in their path to show them that God's Word is totally reliable. It's a love letter to us. I ask you to please have them talk to me, talk to Pastor Jeff, or not leave this place until they meet their doubts face-to-face with you. And I, God, has asked just be with each one of us, speak to us, soften our hearts, and please help us to serve you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist.